yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the soapily beautific hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand-in-hand to create a better life for all of us, the following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear. The program is True Crime Uncensored. Mark C.G. Boyer, fact checker, is here. Thank you very much. And special guest co-host Eric Mercury. Uh, Yes, glad to be here. Listen to that voice. I've known Eric now since 1969. It's been a while. Yeah, 1969 when his first album, uh, The Magnetic Sparks, uh, The Electric uh, Black Band. Uh, Are we we're re-releasing that in a matter of days. Really? Yeah. Now, his album was very popular in the South because due to a misprint, they thought it was The Electrocuted Black Man. There you go. There you go. Wow. But uh, we were playing that on KOL Radio back in the day. Is that right? Is yeah. That you were? Yeah. Very good. And uh, produced, uh, you produced Roberta Flack, Donnie Hathaway, all sorts. Correct. people. That is correct. Hard-working guy. Like we were talking about, there's nowhere to do that anymore. No. So now the the pinnacle, the apex, is Edith the Motorola of his career is being on Outlaw Radio. <laughs> Trying to do this for where years. Where's the love? Where's the love? No, no. No, no. Where is the love? No, I didn't. Well, shame on you. You should have. You're absolutely right. I should have. <laughs> but you didn't. <laughs> but no, not where is the love. But we had hits. Yeah, you did. Yeah. On Tonight's show, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, fan, uh, forensic fun puppet and crime hottie. <laughs> you like that forensic fun puppet? Is that all right, Catherine? That sounds fine to me. Good, good. Catherine Ramsland. Welcome. Welcome, welcome back. Good to have you back on the show. It's fun to be here. Well, you know, you uh, you almost, I uh, hate dating the show, but you and uh, Eric both uh, survived or managed to escape from uh, Hurricane Sandy. That's yeah. my, my power just went on yesterday. Is oh, that right? Yeah, I still haven't been. I haven't been home in almost a week. Well, I left there. I, well, I heard all of this bad news about the storm yep. that was coming. Yeah. And I went to uh, Long Branch in New Jersey the night before. In Saturday night, Sunday, I started begging for <laughs> for a ticket. Out that's of there. right. Yeah. That's right. And I just left Sunday, and here came the storm on Monday. C- Catherine, now uh, is your place downtown in New York? No, it's not New York. I'm, I'm in the Lehigh Valley, which is about an hour and a half out of New York. Okay, but, you know, if you love your computer, you stay with it till the very end. You just can't right. do it anymore. Okay. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. So, uh, aside from the fact of being just a, a forensic fun puppet and crime hottie, as we know from your lurid past and having you on the show several times before, you're really into, in addition to crime and psychopaths and all those, those other interesting things. Which explains her love for the show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because of, she knows how to work with psychopaths. Psychopaths, sociopaths, yes. <laughs> the paranormal. She she talks to dead people. Really? And they talk well, back. I, I try to. They don't. Apparently they talk to me. I don't hear them. <laughs> you, you don't hear? Do you, you have recordings and that kind of thing? Oh, sure. I have lots of stuff like that. But you do. I, fortunately, I have a partner uh, who actually can do this a lot better than I can. And so that's why we put together is he this dead? book, which <laughs> yeah, is about no, Paranormal not. Forensic Investigations. I love that title, Paranormal Forensic Investigations. I like yes. that. How do you forensic? investigate the paranormal? Well, you start by recognizing the the similarities between the approaches. Uh, they're both investigative, um, and each has something, brings something to enhance the other. So, for example, if a paranormalist is using a psychic or using uh, voice meters or 
um, other kinds of equipment to pick up what what seem to be spirit voices right. or some other kind of, of phenomena, then you can enhance some of that with forensic uh, sorts of, of um like, for example, handwriting analysis or voice analysis or even DNA. We've, we've done one case that involved serology, blood analysis. So you can take what we, some of the things that we've advanced in forensics and apply that in the paranormal world. But at the same time, some of the paranormal things actually enhance the forensic world. And we have had cases where they've used ghost stuff in court. No, wait, 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 certainly doesn't pass the fry test, I'll tell you that. I, well, it does. It, it depends on which what audience of peers you're using to do the reviews. If, if your peers are paranormalists, it passes the fry test. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> also, if they've been abducted by aliens, they're not even going to be serving on the street. Yeah, we're not talking about aliens here. Uh, not because when, when I did the book uh, Murder in the Family, a mm-hmm. uh, case about Kirby Anthony in Alaska, that was the first time a profiler, an FBI profiler, was allowed to testify about right. profiling. Really? Yeah, it was Judson Ray was the profiler. Oh, well, he's good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, his wife tried to kill him, you know that? Yes, I yeah, do. Yeah, he knows that, too. Once? <laughs> well, at least she tried Only more than once. once. Only once, yeah. Okay. Once is enough, mm. you know. Well, well she what, gets it right. What, what, the hell you, what, what the hell are you getting married for? <laughs> That's right. You can have him kill you even if you're not married to him. <laughs> so uh, you've got an FBI profiler. Yeah, well, we put together this idea of the paranormal stuff. So I have Mark Nesbitt here to to t- answer any questions about that. And I also have a former FBI profiler, Greg McCrary, who uh, actually some of his cases coincided with a few of the, the psychic cases we came up with. But he also gave, weighed in on um, investigative methods and certain things you could do to enhance this or um, really skeptically analyzing some of this stuff, really thinking through the angles, you know, like a Sherlock Holmes type yeah. of thing. Yeah, well, I, uh, I watched this show the other night on television called The Dead Files. Yeah. Right. And uh, they have, you know, like this, uh, kind of like the X- X-Files except in real life and except they don't travel together. The, the detective guy goes in totally separate right. from the psychic. Then the psychic comes in and goes, ooh. And right. <laughs> at the end of the show. Yeah, they, that's not what we do. No. What do you do? No, we're, I mean, there there are psychics in and out of this stuff. I'm very skeptical about that, so I'm, I'm constantly thinking sure? through what they say. But what we, what we do is, I mean, I, I teach forensic science in the courtroom. I teach forensic psychology. I see. So I'm, I'm there to really make sure we're not just jumping, jumping to conclusions or in, engaged in confirmation bias or tunnel vision or any of that kind of stuff. But we're kind um, of that. <laughs> yeah, but see, I think, the, I think dead files, I think they, they just buy into everything. Um, just because the meeting goes, ooh, 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 I feel this. 
and that's what I've tried to avoid. Well, I do that a lot when I go, ooh, I feel this spot. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes when I'm alone, it must be ghosts. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I've worked on it. But I think the fact that we have have other experts here today besides myself um, makes this a more interesting show. Well, tell me about this uh, Mark Nesbitt guy besides he makes great soda pop. What... uh, no, just about, he's leaving. Just a minute. <laughs> he's, he's fed up already. All right, right. The first crack, he's on the door. Yeah, if he leaves, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> okay. When he's out of the room, then you'll tell the no, real story. He's, he's written all the lots of volumes of Ghosts of Gettysburg and and the number oh. of how how you investigate Civil War battlefields. But he was a uh, he's a historian. He was a park ranger in Gettysburg, and I actually should allow him to speak for himself. Absolutely. May I yeah. Pass the phone over to please, him. Please do. Okay, here you go. I have a question. I thought you were doing great, Catherine. Oh, hi, Burl. Oh, hi there. Hi there, Mark. <laughs> Welcome so, to the show. So uh, you, you, what do you do with these ghosts of Gettysburg? You try to pin them down? Well, actually, uh, I started off as a collector and a historian of uh, the folklore of Gettysburg. The first four volumes, well, we're up to seven now, the first four volumes were basically collections of the stories that I'd heard, that some experiences that I've had, that I'd had as I lived in some of the houses there when I was a park ranger on the battlefield. And uh, then sometime around book four, I was taken on a paranormal investigation out on the battlefield. And um, it was kind of interesting because now all of a sudden I found a way that I could be a little more proactive about this rather than just sitting and waiting for the stories to come to me. I had an opportunity to actually go out and investigate um, these legends or whatever you want to call them. For sure. And uh, some of the stories were very interesting. Some of the things that happened. Very interesting as well. What did, did you experience anything during? You must have experienced. Well, I, I, I actually experienced things before I started investigating. One of the things, uh, for example, uh, I'd always heard. I lived in the, a place called the National Cemetery Lodge. Okay, it was right in the National Cemetery there at Gettysburg. Yeah, yeah, this place is gonna be haunted. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, the uh, the thing that I'd heard was that the woman that lived there before me with her husband had heard babies crying. In fact, one time she heard a baby crying, she ran upstairs, then and stopped herself and said, wait a minute, my kids are grown, what's going on here? <laughs> right. So I was, uh, you know, doing something very simple, like taking my dishes and to put them in the, in the uh, uh, dishwasher, and I heard the strangest uh, squealing type sound, and I, st- I, st- I stopped. And I thought, you know, the first thing you, you try and explain it, you're like, must have been the pipes. And I said, wait a minute, I never heard that before. And then, so I continued walking. I said, geez, you know, that really kind of sounded like a baby crying. And then it hit me that other people had heard that before. And the genesis to that story comes from the fact that maybe two doors down was a an orphanage that was established right after the Civil War in 1865. And the second headmistress there was real, real cruel. And she would put the kids outside uh, in the dead of winter and things like that. And, you know, all, all this, this stuff starts mm. to fall down in, in, on your head and you say to yourself, wait a minute, maybe there's an explanation for what I heard. So that, that's, those, that's one of the things that happened to me before I even got involved in the paranormal investigating end of it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, things got uh, more interesting because, you know, we're starting to run into, into um, we're starting to 
for lack of a better word, tweak the ghosts. You know, the, <laughs> well, you piss them off? You, you, you well, say <laughs> rude things to them behind their back? Right. There, there are some uh, paranormal investigators on TV that, you, that do that. And I, you know, if you're doing something, for example, with... Victorian era spirits, which is what we deal with in the Civil War, you got to be a little more genteel with them. You know, they had, you know, the, the, the ladies still called their husbands Mr. when they were out in public. Uh, so it was a different society back then. So you kind of have to ask permission to talk with them and things like that. And uh, so that's, you know, that's how we, we do it. Um, we don't, you know, yell at them. You don't boss them around and stuff like that. No, they don't tell them to smack us or throw things at us. <laughs> they might like take that. you up on that. Yeah, they might take us up. <laughs> now, yeah. Catherine does. Yeah. <laughs> well, she does that anyway. Right. That's right. She <laughs> tells us to throw things at her. So. <laughs> were, you, were you skeptical about all of this before you uh, got involved? I, mean, I am a skeptic, believe it or not. I mean, you know, I'm still not a true believer in this. I, I find that a bit skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're a skeptic. <laughs> the, uh, you... you you, uh, I mean, there are true believers in this stuff, but I want to know I, I what believe, it is. I believe. Well, I, I think there's something there. Uh, you know, these uh, famous uh, 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 light anomalies that they'll call, they call orbs. A lot of people think it's Correct. just dust. Yeah. Ball lightning. Yes. Yeah, ball lightning, you know. I'm still not sure what it is. I think it, that it ha it's not just dust. I know that. Uh, I know also that they've been seen for... Hundreds of years. That's they go correct. back to the yeah. They call them whether they call them uh, uh, fairy lights back in the you know fifteenth century. They call them that in West Hollywood too. <laughs> I'm not touching that. No, don't touch that. <laughs> no. So uh, you know there is something to uh, all this, and I and but I'm not I'm not 100 percent convinced it's all uh, ghostly. But then again, we do have situations where there's no other place for this information to come from. Um, and it's it's a little... And, and the doing it on a battlefield like this, you know, doing our, in, uh, our investigations where there's a lot of history, yes. so much of it is documented by, you know, people who are actually there. So you can always go back and check everything from names to times to places where these things happened. And so it's a kind of an interesting... For example, very quick example, Catherine and I, the first time we went out and tried to get EVP, the electric voice phenomenon. Right, exactly. I had written a book about a fella in the 15th Georgia, and the 15th Georgia had attacked across a place called the Triangular Field in Gettysburg. We went out to the Triangular Field, and I took my own book, and I read the roster to the t into the recorder, and most of the time we didn't get anything, but then one time I read a name and we got a clear, yes sir, just Ooh. like that. So that's you know, like I said, there's 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 a very military answer in a in a in a on a battlefield, perhaps from the fellow who uh, I addressed. So that's what interests me about that. Fascinating, Captain. It is. Now, what does the FBI profiler have to do with all this besides look at you and go, these people are out of their minds? Well, yeah, I think he <laughs> thought at first we were out of our minds, but then <laughs> after he talked to, us, talked to us for a while and a couple of glasses of wine, he decided that <laughs> we, we might were kind of making sense. Uh, Greg is uh, has, a, has a great uh, history, and he can tell you about some of the uh, things. Uh, we kind of used him as a, uh, as a uh, backboard to bounce these ideas off of, and did they fit? You know, in in with the, uh, uh, what was going on 
in uh, profiling and law enforcement now. And if you'd like to talk to him, sure. sit right here. Okay. Talk to everybody. Yeah, we'll talk to anybody. You got to hang. We'll talk to the ghosts. We're exactly. Hello. Hey Hi, there. Greg McCrary here. Hi, Greg McCrary. I'm Burl Bear. You got Eric Mercury here and yes. uh, Mark Boyer. Yes. Welcome. How did Thank they? You. How did they sucker? Uh, how did they get you involved in this? How did they sucker me into this? Uh, well, I think is. Is uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, Mark indicated a couple glasses of wine, and I was uh, kind of easy after that. Yeah. So. But what? But, what uh, how did they explain your role to you? What? What? Well, what? What's the reason you're there? The reason I am there, as I understand it, is to be sort of a sounding board and to have what I, I would like to think that I'm a pretty logical guy and a no kind of a no bullshit investigator. That you know, we're just here to find the facts and find out what's going on. And uh, uh, you know, as I told them, I, I you know, this certainly this approach wouldn't be my very first approach. Uh, you know, in an investigation, I would run all the logical investigative leads and all of the you know all the the, the normal policies and procedures and we do all the normal investigative things but at that point if after you've run out all the logical leads and you've done everything and you still come up empty then keep in mind the way i view this is you know our job is public safety and to get killers and rapists and you know whatever off the off the street and lock it up like those folks up get them identified and off the street uh then why not um you know if we've got nothing uh why not give this a chance uh if we come up empty well we haven't lost anything it's you've got everything to gain and nothing to lose uh by going down this road so uh if we run through all the normal investigations Investigative uh, procedures, and we're, we're and we're empty. Um, maybe this is something to uh, to consider. But as I said, it wouldn't be my very first yeah. uh, no, first line of investigation. Having been a, a uh, for lack of a better term, a psychic <laughs> investigator or distance reader, or whatever myself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it seems that I wouldn't want to know anything. I mean, when I, I worked in various cases, of what turned out to be the Ted Bundy case and the Spokane serial killer case, which I later wrote a book on, uh, I didn't want to know anything so that I wouldn't have any preconceived ideas, any knowledge coming into my head so I right. could just say whatever it is. You know, so the motto is, say it, don't weigh it. Yeah. If you're thinking, you're going to screw it up. you got to stop thinking and just say whatever it is that, that comes to you. And the accuracy increases in those situations. And so I always worry that if, if you're going, if you're bringing the uh, the distance reader, or the psychic, or the uh, uh, empath, or whatever in, and, and they already know a lot, it, yeah. it might taint taint what they get. It will. hundred percent. I agree with you. Hundred percent with that. It's the same approach that uh, say we use or the FBI uses in profiling. We don't know, want to know anything about suspect information, anything like that. Right. We just want to look at the facts of the case. Right. Uh, because even if we think we're yeah. being objective, we, you know, we, we can be biased even unconsciously. So so I agree with that yeah, approach. Well, we 100%. have seen that, and I'm sure you've seen it several times, that law enforcement will get in their head who the person is That's right. ahead of time. And, yeah. uh, the, and yeah. all the evidence, we had the, the one down here where the eyewitnesses <laughs> are saying, it's two guys, two white guys in an Oldsmobile. Nope. Yeah, but we got a black guy down the street. That is guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, this is this is sort of the worst case scenario is this this tunnel vision thing where you have an idea as to who did it, what happened, or what the case is, and 
if that's it, then you're, you're, you've kind of, you know, I, I say television is great if you've got the right guy. But if, if you don't, <laughs> you're, you're, screwed. you're really screwed, no, uh, screwed. Uh, you know, when you buy into that. And that's, that's the point I think we're trying to make here is that you, you remain objective, you re- remain open-minded. Um, you know, is, we were just talking earlier. I said, you know, one the, probably one of the most dangerous things you can have is an idea if it's the only one that you have. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. I think if you have, and it goes even beyond suspects. I mean, the first phase of a criminal investigation is to determine whether or not a crime has occurred. Now, sometimes that's easy, sometimes it's not. But the minute you get to a scene and you label it or you frame it, oh, this is a murder, this is a suicide, this is an accidental death, whatever you do. You've already limited it, yeah. You've limited your scope. Then you begin to look for things that fit within that frame. Exactly. And if you're you're right, that's great. But if you're wrong, you're you're on the wrong, wrong path. So you're exactly right. Tunnel vision is is a really dangerous thing, and you have to always be on guard with that. Well, that's we were mentioning uh, Justin Ray, who was the first FBI profiler to be allowed to testify in a homicide trial. And that was the yeah, Kirby, I know, I know Judd personally. Yeah, that was yeah. the uh, Kirby Anthony case, which I, my book uh, Murder in the Family is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that one, the cops were focusing on a guy who lived upstairs, uh, and so they were ready to, to come after him. And uh, Justin said, "No, he doesn't know them. Uh, just because he has this in his past and this in his past." based on the, the he was faxed the pictures of the crime scene mm-hmm. and said based on these factors whoever did this knew them intimately mm-hmm. and this guy doesn't know them intimately he just lives upstairs and in fact right. this guy was so afraid the cops were coming for him he packed sure. his suitcase threw it out the window and ran away but they didn't chase him because they knew he didn't do it good move yeah good move on his part <laughs> but they, you know they, they did get the right guy yeah, uh, which I yeah. always found uh, amazing that just from the just from them faxing pictures of the crime scene uh, to Judson, that he came back with seven things about the perpetrator, mm-hmm. and all seven of them were absolutely accurate and correct. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that's what we try to do. You have to know your limitations and your boundaries. Each case is different. Some, you know, some things you can be real real sure about in one case, you can't be so sure of in the next, and vice versa. So each case is on its own because it's all based on the evidence and the facts that you have. But, uh, uh, you, you know, you say what you can say reliably, and I always try to say, here's what I'm really sure of. This I'm not really sure of, but it's probably this. Other things I have no idea. So uh, how does this, how does this play into, give me an example of exactly. what kind of stuff that you're doing with, with Catherine and uh, 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 Mark that, where your talents and abilities are called into, into play here. Well, like I say, my you know what I try to do is exactly what, what, what we're talking about, or what you talked about that Judd did, and, you know, and that sort of thing. But what what I'm saying, you know, with them, with this idea, of this paranormal uh, investigation, is if you run out of, uh, you know, you run out those leads, and you still come up empty, and you still have nothing, yeah. then then why not? Why not give this a go and see, you know, see what well, what, uh, what kind know, of what, what kind of cases well, have you there, been doing? There, here's an example. I mean, uh, there was a case that I was involved in up in Canada where we had a couple of victims uh, actually, even before, they, I think they were both before they were victims, at least uh, one of them had not, if I got my time frame right. They brought uh, a person in to uh, uh, look at one crime, and they came up empty with that. But they're saying, oh, we see a girl who's been dismembered, and she's in a, in a reservoir or in a lake or in, a, you know, in water in cement blocks or something. And then we see another girl who is off the side of the road, and she's, you know, uh, so forth and so forth. 
this was a case that's exactly what I was dealing with later. So how did this how did this person know that this was going to happen before it even happened? Because, I don't have an answer. That's for because you. there's no time only exists where the sun rises and the sun sets. Ah. And when you get into an alpha brainwave state, which is what they're in when they're doing this, it uh, it's kind of like reading sacred scripture where uh, the tenses don't match. Past, present, and future all become the same thing. And so there's really no difference. It's not, so when my people talk to me about ghosts, I say, it's not that the ghosts of Christmas past are coming here. It's that the, dividing, the imaginary dividing lines of time have evaporated. Collapsed. Collapsed. Well, I'd, ha I'd have to agree. I mean, that, that, that's probably a good example. Now, obviously, those of us who are the gumshoe guys who are out there don't think that way necessarily. But, yeah. but when you encounter those sorts of things, it's an attention-grabbing uh, moment. So you, And that, to me, makes me stop and begin to pay attention to uh, uh, the possibility that these things are out there that could be, uh, could be beneficial. Well, also, is how you ask the question depends. will determine a lot of what kind of answer you're going to get. Uh, an example uh, would be uh, when I was called in to work on what turned out to be the, the Ted Bundy case. Mm -hmm. uh, the first question, I, w I got a phone call from a detective, and he said, just give me the name of the missing person. Didn't tell me anything else. I knew nothing about this. Right. And I said, first thing I saw, I said, uh, uh, Mary Moore Park, Lake Sammamish. He says, you're hot. Okay, you're, 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 you're accurate. I said, she's dead. She's been in the trunk of a car. You'll find her body in Issaquah. And they did. So then they called me back a month later, and here was the question. Where is he now? Where is he? And all I could see, I couldn't think of the word. It was a word that started with A, and it was a ski resort. Alaska. I, no, no. It turned out to be Aspen, but I couldn't think of the word Aspen. So I'm going, A, A, uh, uh, those ski chalets, uh, the ski resort. And then I saw... A, a store, I said, women's ski sweaters, and I see two credit cards. Made no sense to anybody. Really? Until it turned out that Bundy kidnapped two women from the ski resort in Aspen and stole their credit cards. Hmm. See, but if the things don't make sense when you say them. You just put, you just. Yeah, because they don't have any reference point for it. But what you ask is going to make a big difference in what kind of information you're going to get. For sure. I, I, I gotta ask this question if I might. What what kind of um, are, are, is the public beginning to understand and accept these kinds of uh, you know results and even even put the putting of the question? I mean, we're, live people are so afraid of dead ones. It's, <laughs> yeah. We so don't invite them over for Passover. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, the public, as far as I, yeah, I suppose you get the usual continuum uh, of believers among the public to skeptics and those people who say it's complete nonsense. Others are true believers, a lot of folks in the middle who don't really quite know what to make of this stuff. Um, no change, Again, no I think we're sort of in the embryonic stages of exploring this and beginning to understand what the possibilities might be. And to me, the important thing is not to have a closed mind about any of this stuff, but to remain open and to, to you know, sift out the wheat from the shaft here and, and try to figure out what really works and, and you know, and what doesn't. And uh, But again, I think we're at the very beginning, early well, embryonic stages of trying to figure that out. You could say that, but inside of our, there are nations inside of our nation, and those nations inside of our nations have been sure of this for hundreds of years. This is thousands of years. This is not, mm -hmm. it's embryonic to, 
various tribal cultures. Yeah, that's, that's what right. I'm talking about. It's embryonic out here well, to these supposedly educated uh, whatever. But, it's, right. but this is this has been normal and natural. I grew up in this. And my grandmother used to have conversations to. I didn't. I never thought it was odd that she was talking to somebody that I couldn't see, and she was very right. sure. You know. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, there's some people who, who understand this and are more deeply involved in this. Other people who are skeptical about it. Some will never believe this regardless of what. So if you're asking uh, the question, as I understood it, was how's the public in general taking yes, it? I that's think that's, what I'm it's along that continuum. Uh -huh. And it doesn't mean that it isn't real or it hasn't been real for thousands of years, but it just means that people are not really... Uh, you know, uniformly attuned to this idea. Well, this also is the problem is that uh, is that charlatans have taken right. advantage of people in this sort of thing for forever, and yep. magicians can replicate many of these things. Yep. Uh, Matt, exactly. Matt Allen, who's our producer, and we call him Magic Matt because he's also a professional magician, yeah, has been yep. uh, forever. And he'll say, well, you know, any magician can do these things. Yep. A woman can fake an orgasm, but that doesn't mean that real ones don't exist. <laughs> organization, I can't recall the name of it, but basically what it is, is the Ethical Psychics Association. Okay. Uh, and they uh, are professional uh, psychics or whatever who uh, campaign relentlessly against the fraudulent ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, actually, I have the same thing in profiling. I mean, we get a lot of oh, uh, make, yes. make believe profilers yeah. out there. I call them drive-by profilers. Yeah. They just sort of drive by and take a guess. Yeah. And they do a lot to, to, to damage they do. to those of us who are really, really trying to professionalize Well, this. you've so probably seen that uh, report put out by, uh, it's on the FBI uh, webpage. About the Department of Justice about talking heads and fake profilers on uh, trial by yep. talk show. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I quote that a lot because one thing we one of the things we don't do on this show is we don't do trial by talk show, indictment by soundbite, uh, don't mm -hmm. talk about the ongoing cases and say, oh, I think so and so did it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah right. that, that response. It's guilty of yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not only is that uh, yeah, unethical, but uh, as there's a law enforcement person you know darn well if you have an ongoing investigation they're not telling people anything <laughs> i mean you know why not just tell the, the criminal who's out there watching the show everything you know that's exactly right and that's the problem i tell you what happens and you're exactly right i mean you know uh, you know uh, i've gotten calls from media i've done some media stuff but uh you know when you get a call you know for example i'll give you an example uh, the perfect example, we had the Beltway Sniper here a few years ago in the oh, yes. D.C. area. Uh, you know, they called me, well, who's doing this? I have no idea. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you who's doing it. That's not what they want to hear. So they get these drive-by profilers on who say, oh, it's a white male and all this. And, of course, we know, you know, it wasn't now. But the real FBI profile, uh, which was done on this, which wasn't publicized, is of two individuals, one, at least one of which is Afro-American, which is exactly, you know, right on. Uh, but what was the, you know, the, uh, you know, the media stuff was all a white male and all this because they put these uh, folks who are just so hungry to get on TV on there and wing right. a wild guess. At, uh, and that's, that's the problem. And we were looking for a white pickup truck, right? Or something yeah, the like white that. van. 
Biden, yeah. Trump. Matter of fact, I talked about that. Trump. I did a interview on Face the Nation, and I warned about that idea of this red herring. And, you know, are we seeing a white van? I mean, there's a shooting. People look around, and you see a white truck. Well, well hell yes. <laughs> hell yes. Go Which out brings and, you know, us just, to Obama. <laughs> just drive through your, you know, drive home tonight and see how many white trucks you see. I mean, yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with the crime necessarily. So. Yeah, well, I had one prosecutor on the show. He said he was watching Nancy Grace, and they were talking about the case he was doing. And he heard someone say, and there were buckets of blood in the vehicle. He's going, what buckets of blood? I'm prosecuting the case. There's no buckets of blood in it. I couldn't <laughs> agree with you more. He's screaming at the case. TV set. <laughs> yeah, I had another case I was involved in, exactly. And I, I did, it was probably my one and only interview with Miss Nancy Grace. And, uh, uh, you know, it was just, uh, they had the facts wrong. They had everything wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, and I'm trying to explain to them they have it wrong. They don't want to hear it. Because no, no. that doesn't, that is doesn't fit the guilty. Yeah, see, this is, and here's a good example. This crime, this isn't even a crime. This is an accident. Well, they wanted it to be a murder. I mean, come on. And uh, so They're going to bend it that way. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, let's not uh, destroy a good story with facts. Exactly. Oh, no, no. Well, that, that's one thing I learned in broadcast journalism years ago uh, in, in studying how stories mutate mm -hmm. from uh, when uh, when it comes across the wire the first time, and then we get to hold that story <laughs> <laughs> by morning. Oh, big time. Yeah, exactly. So I would say it's not easy. How are speaking of Judson Ray, who figures so prominently, and I'll plug my book, Murder in the Family, uh, how's he doing? Judd is fine. I think he's about to second job. He went over to DOJ and was doing some uh, international training and so forth. But uh, uh, Judd's fine. Last I knew, he's doing just fine. And I think he's getting ready to retire from that. So he may be ready to retire, retire, I think. Yeah, he could go on TV. Maybe Nancy yeah. could make him a regular. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he knows better than to get sucked into too much of that. Yeah, like a big audience. I, I was on one show, they, uh, they, they went and they said, Burl, what do you think of this such and such? And I said, that case is still under investigation, isn't it? Yeah, I said, I'm not saying a damn word about it. Right. <laughs> and they were kind of disappointed. <laughs> yeah, here's the guy. They didn't invite me back on that one. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. right. Yeah. They like to, like to have it all wrapped up. What really upsets me is when they, they say, I think Eric Mercury is the guy who did it. And poor Eric Mercury, who's totally innocent, sits at home, and hears him being declared a criminal on national television. They do that. They, they well, do any do publicity that. is good publicity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's how I call the WAG school of profiling, W-A-G, the wild-ass guest. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know someone who would qualify for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, they got you. Are you working on a new new book here now with um, our forensic fun puppet, uh, Catherine? Aren't your forensic fun puppet, Catherine? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about doing some stuff, uh, another book together. Yeah. We yeah. haven't firmed anything up. But, uh, is the Catherine around there? Or is she right she's out? She's right here. Let me okay. put her on. How many books? How many books? Hello. Hello, Catherine. Now, Eric, want to know how many books you got out now? Forty-six. Wow. Did you write all those in your spare time? That was fun. No, I hired monkeys. That's good. I know people who do that. I'm monkeys. Yeah. I know. I'm I know. one of the monkeys You're that gets hired. <laughs> I wrote them all. I researched them all and loved every minute of it. You got it. Yeah. So which do you enjoy more, doing the, dare I say it, serious scholarly work? Or think, no. Uh, no? <laughs> you, you like the ones where you take a bottle of Chevis and go out and sit in the graveyard? <laughs> I, like the, I like anything with a really good narrative, where story is the most important thing, uh, rather than academic, you know.
very academic 60-second break for some academic commercials, as if we had any. And, uh, we'll be right back, so don't go away. This is Lori Downey Jr., and I've got a message just for you. If you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning, and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. Oh, hi there. I'm the legendary Burl Bear. I thought that music sounded familiar. In my spare time, I write true crime. In fact, Catherine Ramsland, our brilliant guest today, and I are in the same book together. What a deal. We're in the book Masters of True Crime. 17 true crime authors, all in one fantastic, mind-blowing book of incredible cases. Masters of True Crime. Featuring Catherine Ramsland, Burl Bear, Kathy Scott, Robert Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, I don't know. All, all sorts of people in there. Famous people, really. If I could remember their names, I'd say them. And while you're buying that book, buy Headshot by Burl Bear. Uh, it's my latest paperback about psychopaths. And I got another one coming out December 4th called Body Count. The true story of the Spokane serial killer, Robert Lee Yates. Family man, nice guy, five kids, Desert Storm veteran, and psychopathic killer. Censored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. He's not here. He's not here. <laughs> Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. He's, he's here. Mark's here. And sometimes Marie Mackey, Esquire. She'll be here later. <laughs> Produced by Magic Matthew Allen. And who's that leggy blonde with the asthma? <laughs> Who in turn is produced by Lori Downey Jr. Yeah, now we're talking. Hi, I am the legendary Burl Bear. Hosting today, filling in for Howard Lapidus, his famous uh, singer, composer, songwriter, uh, bon vivant, uh, raconteur with a rack on top. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Thank you. Can I use it? Yeah, you can. Eric Mercury. And, of course, Mark is here. And uh, forensic, uh, whatever you call it, uh, psychologist, is that the correct term? Yeah, it's a fun puppet, though. Do you like the forensic fun puppet better? She's yeah. going to put that on the back of her books now. Some people call me Forensic Barbie. <laughs> forensic Barbie? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's better than Bloodstained Barbie. <laughs> I'd take that one. Yeah, take that one. That was always says that you can, you can buy a talking Barbie almost anywhere, but you can't even special order listening, can. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, it's life for you. Okay, let's get back to your brilliant career. I, I was just hyping uh, that we're both in Masters of True Crime. Yeah, that was a good book. Yeah. People should buy thousands of copies for the holidays and give them to all their friends so that you and I can get checks in the mail. Well, they should, they well should you have know, given the them... good thing about that book was how many stories are in it that just haven't been heard before. It, it, I mean, there's one, is it how many, 50 stories yeah, of there's true seven, crime yeah, that seven, are really... Yeah. 
I mean, the one I put in there was one I happened to discover in a little crime museum in Rome that I'd never heard of. That was an amazing story, and yet it wasn't out there in the world. Run so. it down for us. Yeah, she did. It's in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's in the book. Okay. Well, it's the same thing as the the story that I have in the Alaska mail bomb conspiracy. It originally, was going to be a full length book for a publisher, but the publisher wound up going to prison. So. Oh well, that's even a better story. <laughs> we didn't tell that story in the book, but I mean, there are all of the all true crime writers have stories that we've wanted to do books with that is uh, not a book-length story, but something like in your case that you stumble upon and you want to get it out there. And the great thing, as you say about this book, is it gave us the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that, you know, volume two should be forthcoming. I would think so. Of course, and she's cranking out these things, too, all on her own. Wow. So in in Blood and Ghosts, which is a great title. It is. Thank you. uh, How many ghosts did you interview for this book? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we, you know, you can do this thing where you have a recorder and you get what's called the electronic voice phenomenon. And and my favorite one was in the house where one of our great American poets, Conrad Aiken, had grown up. His father murdered his mother and committed suicide when he was 12 years old. Mm. In that house, I got... I was with a, a crime reporter from Los Angeles who had covered the O.J. Simpson trial, and I was trying to teach her how to get electronic voice phenomena and as I was explaining it over my voice we got another voice that said you want to know what I know Ooh. Oh. <laughs> and you all stopped and went where's that bottle yes, of <laughs> it's, on, it's on the counter <laughs> so what did you do then well I kept trying to get voices and I got things like um, who has the key things like that but you know the odd thing about EVP is it's so sporadic it's almost like they have a window of opportunity sometimes you can get a conversation it's pretty short lived pretty typically no pun intended (laughs) no but the idea is for forensic purposes you want to hopefully get a victim or a missing person or something like that who might be able to give you some sense of direction for a case yeah the problem is is that what you usually get sometimes can be uh, metaphorical. Yep. Uh, and then you got to decipher it. You do, but that's partly what's interesting about it. Yeah, that's what makes a good story. Do you sometimes uh, answer these voices? I always answer them. Do you, always. Do, do you ever get responses on top? I do get responses, absolutely. I've had sometimes two recorders in t- you know, two of my hands and gotten different things in each one, and yet they're, they're so close together. How is that possible? But I have. Hmm. So I wonder if it's like in those science fiction movies where you got like the black hole in space where you're going through time and they kind of open up and close and open up and close. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. What, I, I mean, I have more questions than answers, but I have a adventurous spirit. In fact, as soon as as soon as the hurricane hit and I had no power, I thought, where is the best place for me to go? How about the ghost house in Gettysburg, which I know is haunted? <laughs> so that's <laughs> so where why you did went. I do that? <laughs> So did you find any ghosts to the ghost of Gettysburg? Again? Yeah, the first night I was watching NCIS and I heard footsteps on the stairs. I went to look. No one was there. And then I've come to find that a number of people have heard footsteps on the stairs and nobody was there. Hmm. Does it frighten you? Are you ever frightened? No, I used to. I used to really love being scared of ghosts. But now 
uh, I'm more curious about it. I mean, I've stayed in a lot of haunted places alone, where a lot of people won't go, like the Lizzie Borden house. Yes. And uh, well, see, I'm not afraid either. I'll go to any of these places. Anytime they want me to go, I will yes. go because I'm totally not. Af- I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I'm, I'm not either, and I want to find out more. I want to really understand better. And and my association with Mark Nesbitt has because he's always experimenting and creating tools and refining the equipment and and how to do this. So my association with him has helped me to let him do all the work, and I get the benefit. <laughs> now, uh, your, your other your other forensic, uh, you know, uh, academics, do they look askance at you for this? You know, you would think so, but actually, what happens is that they they want to know more too. Of course. And I've actually had whole colloquiums at my university where I've told them the things that I've done and found, and they're really interested. So they they don't, and I think it's partly because there are all these stupid shows on TV. Yeah. yeah. That somehow legitimize this stuff, even though it shouldn't be that way because those shows aren't that good. But I think it's okay now to to say that you. Have actually do paranormal research and as a result i've actually had more people really fascinated with it than than dismissing me well you're if it was 20 years ago they'd be thinking of ways of booting your ass out i agree with you totally i agree with you but actually when i was hired where i worked that was one of the things that intrigued them huh things as social things can change yeah it's like I was reading about professors on the, on the topic of uh, paranormal stuff, but Professor E.G. Brown in the 1800s, who was the like greatest uh, Orientalist uh, of the time, he's still regarded as such, uh, he was interested in some things that they... That damaged his career, even though he was, so I say, precognitive. He knew they were going to be important in the future. He knew they were of historical right. significance. He's going, this is history in the making. You know, a hundred years from now, people will want to know. Okay. And they're going, yeah, 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 right, yeah, right. Well, a hundred years later, his the, the books of his that are still in print are the ones <laughs> you know, that, right. that got him in trouble for devoting so much time to. Yeah, so, and I, you know, and not just that, it's fun. It's just, we went to a winery last Last night, wine tasting was first, of course, uh-huh. and then had a, an incredible investigation of a lot of things occurring, and, and uh, you just never know what's going to happen. So I think it's really worth, it's fun, it's interesting, it's, it keeps expanding my sense of reality. Uh, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Because after all, reality is one of the few things that you can kind of count on, but you can't count on it being consistent. Absolutely not. Who knows what it is? Yeah. I don't. I used to be. I used to teach philosophy before I taught forensic psychology, and clearly, you you don't know things that seem solid may not be. Yep. And as, as Bob Dylan said, there's only three things in life you can count on. Death, taxes, and the lumberjacks are coming. And someone asked me, me, what what does that mean? I said, trees that have stood for hundreds of years suddenly will fall. Things that you thought were solid or not. That's right. (laughs) And and I think it's better to stay flexible, just to... Because you never know what amazing things if you stay flexible. If you're very rigid and you're very close and your worldview is already set, you might as well just die now. There's a guy uh, that in Texas a few years ago who pulled his kid out of school because in science they weren't. I mean, evolution would have been bad enough, right. but teaching that the Earth was not flat. Yeah, I know. This guy That's still silly. to this day believed that the Earth was flat. And that hell was in the center of the earth and heaven was just above the clouds. And them teaching his kid that the earth was round, that was, uh, no, that was bad news. 
Hold the kid well, up. People who hang on to dogmas, especially discredited dogmas, are just doing it out of fear. They need security. They need they need to have a firm foundation. But they're not going to learn much. They're not going to stretch much. They're not going to have the real joy that you get from learning and finding out new things and having your mind completely blown. Because um, their knowledge is um, challenges the status quo. Right. You know, I read an article the other day that talked about that during times of stress and economic trouble and world turmoil. Instead of minds getting more open, in that quest for certitude, that quest for certainty, right. it goes just the opposite direction. It tends yes. to lock down uh, either or, black and white, you know, real rigid thinking as if that's going to provide some sort of mental or emotional security. Well, it's safety. They feel safe. It makes them feel safe. They feel safe. Yeah. And, you know, in my opinion, safety is not as fun as... Danger. As, as danger <laughs> well, there and is exploring. No safety. There, you know. There's no safety. No. no place to run, no place to hide. Ain't no, no mountain I mean, high you enough. To, you, you know, go. you got to watch There's the walking dead. That's the metaphor. That's the metaphor. There's no... Every place you think is safe is not, and yeah. not for the reason that you thought. Yeah. Yeah, just when you think it's safe to go in the water. Exactly. Just when you thought it was safe to be in the light of lounge. <laughs> you got to get a bigger boat. Yeah. That, that line was ad-libbed, I found out. I love that line. That's, there was an article on, on the, the greatest ad-libbed lines in movies that became <laughs> iconic, and that was one must of them. Must go faster, must go faster. Yeah, the, the, the other one is, I'm walking here, I'm walking here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. The taxi driver crossing the street. Went right through the movie set, paid no attention to the blocked-off thing, and almost hit Dustin Hoffman. And he hits it, he goes, I'm walking here, I'm walking. They leave it in the movie, and everyone remembers that. Prevalent. Yeah. That's right. the line after that. And the, uh, the other one was uh, Tommy Lee Jones in uh, The Fugitive, when uh, Dr. Richard Kimball explains, I didn't murder my wife, I didn't murder my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones looks at him and says, I don't care. <laughs> And that became, you know, the catch line of the movie. And right. he had lived it. I don't care. In Apocalypse Now, don't get off the boat. Don't get off the boat. That's right. Don't get off. I the thought boat. it was don't rock the boat. No, no. no that, that's don't a, get off. That's don't a huge corporation. That's a huge corporation. They make airplanes. That's funny. You, you like that, right? I did. Yeah. My friend Bill Strom used to play bass in the Hughes there. Did he? Yeah. So what small world it is. Yes. So, uh, what have your 47, 47 books now? 46. 46. Well, I'm, I'm working on 47 and 48 right here in the room. You're aggravating me because I only got like 13. Counting the, <laughs> we're counting the one in Japanese. 13? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you count, wait a minute, are we counting translations? No, no, no. It'll be, this one only came out in Japanese. I wrote it in English. It was a novelization <laughs> of the movie Stealth for Sony. Yes. And they sold it. It was Japan wanted it. So I was commissioned to write it. You write it in English, and then it was translated into Japanese. But, oh, that's good. Yeah, well, I got paid. The money was in English. Yeah. So just, but, but you don't know what they what's in the book. Right? I wrote things yeah, that I think right. it must be very difficult for them to translate this. <laughs> they just slapped your name on the side. <laughs> that's like this friend of my, Wally McDonald. You know, the uh, he had these prayers that were. Uh, in Arabic, you know, beautifully framed, hanging on the wall, and people always go, ooh, oh, and then he gets this very evil idea. He took a page from an instruction manual of an Onan engine that was in Arabic mm -hmm. and framed that and put that on the wall. <laughs> and people go, ooh. <laughs> and, yeah, they didn't know what it said, but it looked good. It's so 
Yeah, that's what I said. People get these, you know, little tattoos, things in yeah, Japanese and Chinese. No idea what no, it I said, what's this? This stupid white guy paid his money to put this on his arm. Right. All right, but you guys got to admit that this idea of putting forensics and paranormal together is a good idea, right? I think it's a very good idea. Yeah. I, I think it will sell huge. It should. Well, we, we, we want her so, rich so she can buy us lunch sometimes. More important, I think we're creating a whole new discipline, a whole new way to approach things that has some credibility to it rather than, as Greg was saying, wild-ass guessing. Yeah. Well, you know, Vegas, as he and I were, were talking about earlier, I, I worked as a professional psychic or distance reader on, on cases for law enforcement. It's been several years, maybe a decade you or so. You did? Yeah. Uh, I what? Used, yes. I, I wasn't kidding. I thought you I just said you were a skeptic. No, I was no, used no. to be a professional. I used to do that. I worked on the Ted Bundy case, what turned out to be the Ted Bundy case. What? The Heidi Tell me what, what you did. What did you do? Tell me. Oh, well, did. I already told part of that uh, story. So uh, I also worked on what turned I wrote a book about the Spokane serial killer. Uh, called Body Count. But that I do know. If you get that book, there is uh, a scene where one do of I the... Do you have to pay for it? Is Definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can get you a copy, Catherine. There's a scene where one of the family members of the victims goes to see a guy in Walla Walla named Jeff Reynolds, who is a true crime writer and psychic. And I put use the name Jeff Reynolds but that's me. It's you. But it's me. And in that case, she, I knew nothing about this case whatsoever. I hadn't paid any attention. She says, my cousin, uh, Sonny, was murdered by this Spokane serial killer. What can you tell me about him? And so I started describing the guys. He's in great buff physical shape, really good physical shape, but he's impotent. He has a problem getting it up. Uh, and I said, and something... Uh, uh, it's like either stainless steel or aluminum. I keep seeing this work area with all the metal shavings and stuff. I said, and then there's a woman. I said, even though he's doing this alone, somewhere in the background there's this woman. And I described this woman. Uh, I said, she, uh, her dress, she's a... Uh, Dress is a little too tight for her body. She's got uh, the kind of dark skin. She's not black, but she's she's not Hispanic. Well, long story short, Robert Lee Yates Jr. turned out to be a Spokane serial killer. Yeah. Very buff guy. Looked just like I described. And what it was doing is these women would perform oral sex on him. And after seven minutes, if he couldn't get him up, he shot him in the back of the head. You're kidding. And then he'd have sex with him. Uh, and he worked in this, uh, for this aluminum company. And there's a problem with this? Yeah. <laughs> hey, now, didn't I say if you send me that, I'll write it up for my Psychology Today blog? I think maybe. So you didn't send it to me. Yeah. Time to send it. Yeah. Yeah. How do the forensics apply to this exactly? Do you want me to out you as the psychic on that case? Well, I mentioned it, but I was the psychic. Okay. And I did the Heidi Peterson kidnap case. And that was interesting because uh, they came to me on February 6th was the date. I was doing a telethon uh, for the Children's Orthopedic Hospital. And the detective came to me standing in the hallway and he says, where do we find Heidi Peterson? And I said, okay, uh, if you're on the I-5 freeway by the Roanoke exit, there's a bunch of blueberry or blackberry bushes or something. I said, that's where you'll find her. Well, they ran out there. She wasn't there, of course. One year later to the day. That's exactly where her body was found. You can I was right, except I was a year early. Well, that was because he didn't have a show. It's time for me to interview you. Yeah. Well, listen, we're all out of time on this show. Oh, How about that? Yeah. Okay, Catherine Ramsland, the latest book, Blood and Ghosts. What other ones should the viewers should they buy as long as they're in a buying mood? The Mind of a Murderer. Mind of a Murderer. Where are they, yeah. where are they available? Uh, they're online all over the place. Uh, Blood and 
Ghost is actually exclusively e-books, so any of the e-distributors. E like uh, Nook, Kindle. Nook, Kindle, and, and Sony so e-readers and Kobo's. And Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Fine books are sold by forensic fun puppets. Uh, Catherine Ramsland. Also remember to pick up Masters of True Crime while you're at it. Thanks to the rest of the guests. Yes, yes thank you oh, very yeah. much. Great show. Thank you very much. We'll have you on again soon. Go find some Thanks. more ghosts for us. Okay. Bye. Right. Bye, bye. Bye bye. Thanks. Isn't she fun? She's great. A lot of fun. Yeah, she's smart cooking too. Uh, next week, I believe we have uh, Edgar Award nominated author Steve, who wrote uh, some great book. We had him on last year. Anyway, he's back with a new one. Uh, I'm Burl Ben, that's my foyer. Eric Mercury, stick around. I'm sure Matt will want to talk to you. Magic Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence. Coming up next, right here on the standard of the industry. We like to call it Outlaw Radio Talk.